In 2 Samuel, we started a few weeks ago, and then we had these couple of weeks off, and, and it started with the death of Saul, King Saul. And it's interesting because it starts off with the death of the king. And, and, and in that first chapter, we saw that there was a young man who showed up. He had been up at the, at, at the battlefield, which was up north in Israel, closer to the Sea of Galilee, if you look at your map, but over the mountain of Tabor, towards the west, and in that valley of Megiddo or the valley of Jezreel, in that area is where this battle takes place. And this young man, he's probably up there pillaging, uh, from this battle because he was an Amalekite. He wasn't in the battle per se. Um, and, and he heads down after taking the king's crown and, and stuff that belonged to the king. He heads down to Ziklag, which was probably at least 80 miles. So it took him a few days to get down to Ziklag because he knew that King David or David at the time was there. And it's interesting because after coming from the battlefield, he comes to Ziklag to give David the news that the king is dead. I'm sure they were all singing, ding dong, the king is dead, the king is dead, the king is dead. Um, Maybe not. They weren't singing that, as we know. Because I'm sure this man, this young man, must have thought that when he goes and gives David and his men the news that this king that had been following after them and pursuing them for about 10 years was now dead. He, he, I'm sure he, he thought they will be so excited that the king is dead because now they can go back to, to Judea. They can go back to Israel. They can go back and rest and not have to be on the run. And I'm pr- probably sure as well that more than likely he thought that he would get some kind of reward Even though he had the king's crown, he probably thought, I can't really sell this at the swap meet or anything like that. People will know where I got it from. So I'm going to give it to the next king and surely he will give me a reward and or he will give me a position somewhere in his kingdom, even though I'm not from Israel. Or maybe he will just give me the fame that I deserve because I am the one who actually killed him, as he said he did. Now, whether that's true or not, he claimed that he did. And because of that, because he, he thought he would get all these things, it didn't turn out quite the way he thought it would. Instead, he meets his demise, his, his ruin, his end. And that David told him, man, were you not afraid to kill the king's anointed? Did it not even come across to you that you should have done everything to save his life instead of killing him? Even though you thought that there was no life in him, what, what doctor school did you go to that you knew that? You should have done everything possible to save the king's life. And through it all, through that whole scenario in, those first, in that first chapter, we see the heart of David towards, the king, towards King Saul. And even though King Saul had made his life miserable for about close to 15 years. We see David grieve for this man. A genuine grief that was so deep that it penetrated his soul, not just his heart, but his his soul in such a way that he, he just laments over the death of the king and over his sons. Now we can understand the son, Jonathan, that, that he was tight with, that he was close with. 
But man, we know that, that King Saul, man, did everything in his power to get rid of this guy. And as I mentioned a couple of weeks ago, if you didn't know any better, if you just, for some reason, came to Jesus or started thinking, I am going to read the Bible, and you opened it up to 2 Samuel, not knowing that there was a first, but you just started in 2 Samuel, and you began to read the first chapter, you would have thought that King David, or that David, had just lost his best friend. The way he speaks of Saul, you would think that he had just lost his mentor, his hero. If you didn't know the stories of David and, and Saul, you would have thought, man, oh man, this guy, this guy really, really loved him. And I truly believe, even though Saul made his life miserable, David always had a respect and a love for King Saul. And, and, and as I say that, I think, is that possible that when somebody in your life is making your life miserable, <laughs> tormenting you, throwing spears at you, hunting you down, basically, is it still possible to have a love and respect for somebody like that? Because in the physical sense, man, you probably, you know, people would probably think it's like, hate him back, man. He throws a spear at you, you get the spear and chuck it back at him. You, if he does unto you or she does unto you, you do unto them. And yet, as, as the Bible tells us and teaches us, we're not to be like that. It teaches us quite the opposite. And so we see a great example in David right here. That he was a man that even though people came after him, he was willing to, to look beyond it. He was able to, to, to kind of let bygones be bygones, basically, especially when this cat had died. He, he's going to speak well of him, and he is not going to crush him or do anything of the sort to make the king look bad. He laments, and I think it was such a genuine lament from this guy's heart. So now, it's time for David to take his rightful place as king. He had been anointed to be king privately 15 years earlier. And throughout that time, everybody in the kingdom knew that King David would one day be the king. That David would one day be the king. Because of the way things were being said and the way things were happening, even in the kingdom with Saul and, and all those things, the way he loved Jonathan and that whole scenario, people knew that David was the heir apparent to the kingdom. But Abner, as we saw, he was the commander of Saul's army, decided to prop Saul's last remaining son up as king. A, a, a move that he knew was definitely wrong, but he was willing to do it to keep some kind of power in his life because he was the commander. He decided to do it anyways. And because of that, there was a civil war between Israel. Israel being the, 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 the 10 or, or, or 11 northern kingdoms or, or tribes. So there would be Israel up north against Judah, which would be the, 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 the southern kingdom one tribe, basically, there would be the civil war that they would go at each other. And this is where we pick up this evening in chapter 
3 of 2 Samuel. Verse 1. Now there was a long war between the house of Saul and the house of David. But David grew stronger and stronger and the house of Saul grew weaker and weaker. Sons were born to David in Hebron. His first son was Annan by Ahinoam, the Jezreelitess. The second was Kiliab by Abigail, the widow of Nabal, the Carmelite. The third was Absalom, the son of my the daughter of Telmai, king of Geshar. The fourth, Adonijah, the son of Higgeth. The fifth, Shephatiah, the son of Abitil. The sixth, Ithriam, the, by by David's wife Eglah, these were born to David in Hebron. Now I don't know about you, but when you start coming across these names and you try reading them out loud in front of people, I don't know if you can see the sweat because I feel like hot right now because it's like it's either the lights, the sweatshirt, or me trying to read, and I think it's a little bit of both. But we got kind of through these names. I wrote them all down and tried to pronounce them, but man, oh man, try to be up here doing that. But be that as it may, we, we, we go to the first verse here, and it tells us a lot. Now, we know from the last chapter that David would be in Hebron for seven and a half years. In chapter 2, verse 11, it tells us that he was in Hebron for for two, uh, seven and a half years. So in that time, um, so it means that all of that time, it's like, I got, I got to start stripping down here. I mean, I, that's as far as I'm going to get. But um, <laughs> So that means that for all of that time, the house of Saul and the house of David were fighting against each other. Again, the northern kingdom against the southern kingdom. The, the northern kingdom was bigger, the southern kingdom was smaller. But we also know just because of the size of the army that Saul had, that they were way bigger. Granted, they had a bigger draw, but David's army was not as big. But it tells us that, 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 that they were fighting against each other. Now, it doesn't mean that there was a constant war going on. It wasn't probably a daily or weekly weekly confrontation that was happening but more than likely it was just a continual thing that was happening there were skirmishes uh, for for the seven and a half years that that these things were going on and the fact that that uh, there was one kingdom that was growing stronger and stronger and another kingdom that was growing weaker and weaker um, just, just because a kingdom is bigger doesn't mean that, that they, they, they have it all together. Because the bigger kingdom was the one that was becoming weaker 
And the smaller kingdom was the one that was becoming stronger and stronger. And to me, this was an indication that God was blessing one kingdom over another. And we know that from our studies, that because of what Saul had done, the kingdom had been torn away from him. And God had already propped up or or called David to be the king. And so God was going to be on David's side and, and not with Saul. And the reason wasn't that he hated Saul, it's that Saul just didn't seek the Lord the way David was seeking the Lord. And because Saul was not seeking the Lord, then the Lord took his favor away from him. And because of his disobedience, he had prophesied that he would tear the kingdom away from him. Now, just because something is big, or it has grown, or it is larger in number, doesn't necessarily mean that God is in it. See, I think oftentimes, even in our own minds, when we see something that is big, something that that, that there has been some growth, something where, where there's numbers, whatever the thing is, doesn't necessarily mean that God is, is in on it. And I think oftentimes we look at numbers and we think, oh, God definitely is blessing. And it doesn't mean that he doesn't bless in numbers. But I think oftentimes we have the mindset that if it's big, then God must be blessing. And that's not always the case as we see here that the bigger kingdom was not, was, even though it had grown and it was, it was big, it was becoming weaker and weaker. And the smaller kingdom, the one that was actually seeking after God, God was, the one, God was using them and raising them up because he was done with the other. And that's a sad commentary because the disobedience that happened after the death of Saul, we see that even in the seven and a half years, they were not prospering. Probably mostly because... Uh, there was pride, there was power and prestige that they needed, that they wanted in one kingdom. And, and they were trying to make things happen. Because that's the way it should have gone in the natural way. But God had already put a stop to it. Whereas the other kingdom was being patient. They were being pragmatic. And, and I would even say that they were being passive. And not in a bad way in any way. I think that they knew what God was was already wanting to do in their lives and with David, that they were willing to, to, to be more on the humble side. And, and, and I'm sure that they were defending themselves, but I don't think that David, the southern kingdom, was the aggressor here. I, I believe that, that the house of Saul was the one that was continuing to take this battle and, and, and continue to have this battle where I think David, they were going to defend themselves. They were going to protect themselves. But I would venture to say that the house of David, even though they, they stood for themselves, they didn't perpetuate the situation. Knowing that in God's timing, everything would fall into place. God had already torn the kingdom away from from Saul, and they knew that. Everybody knew that, as we're going to see in the rest of this chapter. But this civil war that was going on, just like any civil war, is sad. It's sad because it's a country fighting against themselves. The nation of Israel was God's. And yet there was this division that happened because, because of pride, because of power, because of prestige. 
They, they desire to, to, to keep this going. And whenever you have those kinds of things happening, then this is what brings, brings uh, uh, what, what comes about is that people will be pitted against each other. People will be hurt because of it. And I think, again, when, when we're looking at the kingdom, we're going, man, that's just wrong of, of, of why they would do that. But guys, when, we, when we're looking at Scripture like this, we need to bring it back down to our lives and say, okay, what's happening in our lives? How often are we perpetuating a fight, an argument, um, um, uh, uh, grudges, because we're the ones that, that feel like, like we need to be avenged here. We're, we're the ones that should, should get our rightful day. Things should be happening on our behalf. And I, I, I think that when, when we put ourselves in that place, we become weaker and weaker because of what we're putting out there. And I, again, we see this picture of, of the house of Saul. Even though they were big, maybe they had the right to do this or they thought they had the right to do this. But, but what was happening was they were hurting people along the way because they could not back up. They could not just let it fall apart and, and let things happen. All of them knew that God had taken his hand off of them. But the pride, the power, and the prestige that, that, that they had to make it happen. I think oftentimes when, when we as humans and as Christians especially, when we think that we, we have the right to continue fighting for what we believe is true, and maybe all the while God's going, you know, I just want you to humble yourself. That's all I need you to do, man. If you put down your arms, there will be peace. <laughs> but if the other person doesn't defend themselves, then you will slaughter them. <laughs> so we need to be careful there. This would end up being the history of the nation of Israel. It would be a, a, a nation that would be divided for centuries through, through their monarch history. Most of their time in this monarch history, there would be a divided kingdom because they would not humble themselves to come together. And whenever they tried, somebody always stepped in to keep the fight going. And guys, <clears throat> we are told from the scriptures, from Romans chapter 12, verse 18, that if it is possible... As much as depends on you, Christian, live peaceably with all men. Now, I know that our Christian life, it will not always be easy. Because I think oftentimes when people look at us as Christians, they look at us as doormats and they think that we should always just lay down. And there's times for that. But this, the, the, the scripture that we are given here, it says, if it is possible... Because sometimes it's not possible. <clears throat> if it is possible, as much as depends on you, as much as you can do to keep peace, keep the peace. Seek peace. Don't perpetuate the situation by going back after them. If God has told you, hey, back up, and you're going, but God, that's not right. They're going to get away with it. It's like, let them get away with it if that's what God has called you to do. And that's not easy to do because I know how easy it is to get into the flesh and want to get my own way. I know how easy it is to desire to win instead of lose in a fight, in a battle. But God has called us 
to be at peace with all men. And so in verses 2 and through 2 through 5, we see that sons were born to David. And I'm not going to go through all the sons again. Whew, that was just kind of tough. Again, we are told that when David, in the last chapter, when David came to Hebron, he only came with two wives. And in this time in Hebron, he amassed four more wives. I'm thinking, are you nuts? Man, isn't it hard enough just to try to please one woman? Man, you got six women right here, man. He, he, he amassed all these wives. And it's like, you know they're going to fight with each other. I'm just saying. His son would take it way farther than David will ever, as we'll see. I mean, he amassed a thousand women in his life. But for in, in seven and a half years, he had six sons. Now, that's not to say that he didn't have some girls along the way here. It's not to say that he had a second and third son from the same woman. But all the first sons are talked about here. Now, polygamy was never endorsed by God. Never. Especially, you know, for the kings of Israel. But they did it anyways. And they brought about many problems because that's what happens when you get more than one wife. You bring about many problems. Deuteronomy. 17.17 tells us, Neither shall he multiply, speaking of the king, neither shall he multiply wives for himself, lest his heart turn away. Nor shall he greatly multiply silver and gold for himself. And you can read the, the prior verses to that. He's telling them all these things that a king should do and not do. David's firstborn, Amnon, he, he would end up raping his half-sister, Tamar. And then be murdered by Tamar's full brother, Absalom. Absalom would be, tr- would be killed trying to take over the kingdom from his father. Now, it's interesting because Absalom, it tells us that his mother, Maika, was the daughter of Telmai, king of Gersha, Gisha, Gisha, whatever it is. And it's interesting because it's quite possible because he had this royal lineage on this other side by his mom, maybe that's where the, the desire to overcome and take this, overcome his own dad's kingdom came from. It's quite possible. Maybe it was encouraged from that side. David's marriage to this woman was probably, and it's probably the first time it's mentioned that there was a political motivation to kind of marry into another kingdom because Gersha was up by the Sea of Galilee, which would be closer to Isposheth, which is the son of Saul kind of to have an ally up there. And God never wanted him to wanted the kings to marry um, other allies so that they can help the nation of Israel because God was supposed to be their help. But yet they went looking in other places. <clears throat> now during David's final il- illness, 
Adonai would be killed. Well, he, he, he would be killed because he was trying to capture the throne for himself. And Solomon, which would be the son of Bathsheba later on, is the one that kills his brother, Adonai. And all these other guys here, we don't know much about them. But when, when David moved to Jerusalem, and we'll see that in a few chapters, David even had more wives and concubines. He had 11 sons born to him in all. So verse 6 through 16, it says, So it, uh, now it was so, while there was war between the house of Saul and the house of David, that Abner was strengthening his hold on the house of Saul. And Saul had a concubine by the name of Rizpah, the daughter of uh, Aiyah. So uh, Ishbosheth said to Abner, Why have you gone into my father's concubine? Then Abner became very angry at the words of Ishbosheth and said, Am I a dog's head that belongs to Judah? Today I showed loyalty to the house of Saul, your father, to his brothers and to his friends, and have not delivered you into the hand of David, and you charge me today with the fault concerning this woman? May God do so to Abner, and more also if I do not do for David as the Lord has swore to him to transfer the kingdom from the house of Saul and set up the throne of David over Israel and over Judah from, Beer, from Dan to Beersheba. And he could not answer Abner another word because he feared him. Then Abner sent mass messengers on behalf on his behalf to David, saying, Whose is, this, whose is the land? Saying also, Make a covenant with me, and indeed my hand shall be with you to bring all Israel to you. And David said, Good, I will make a covenant with you, but one thing I require of you, you shall not see my face unless you, uh, you first bring Michael Saul's daughter when you come to see my face. So David sent messengers to Ishbosheth, Saul's son, saying, Give me my wife Michael, whom I betrothed to myself for a hundred foreskins of the Philistines. And Ishbosheth sent and took her from her husband Peltile, uh, the son of Laish. Then, then her husband went along with her to Bashrim, uh, weeping bef behind her. So Abner said to him, Go, return. And he returned. Um, so now we have little Abner here. Um, he, he, he had saw the writing on the wall. And he continued to strengthen his hold on what he had in regards to the house of Saul. And he is the one that set up this puppet regime um, to, in, in a quest to prove that he had all this power. And so he is the one that sets all this up. And so in order to show that he even has more power, 
he goes and takes one of Saul's concubine. And this was no casual thing. This was a serious offense. Normally, the deceased king's harem belonged to his successor. And in this case, it would be his son, Ishbosheth, which, again, wasn't a big deal in those days. They would take the father's harem. And any man who asked for one of the concubines, by asking for her, he was asking for the kingdom. And in that, he would be guilty of treason. And this is what led to the death of uh, Adonijah as well. When Solomon killed him, he was asking for David's concubine, one of his father's concubines. And because of that, he said, do you want the kingdom also? And he had him killed altogether. We also know that, that when, when uh, uh, Absalom was coming after the kingdom and David had fled, he uh, takes a concubine or several of the concubines and, and, and gets to know them on top of the roof so that all of Israel could see. Again, it was not a casual thing to take somebody's concubine like that. And so by Abner doing this, he very much knew that he would cause a stir. And it's quite possible that Abner knew exactly what he was doing, when he was doing it, because he wanted to see if Ishbosheth would stand up to him. And then it would be easier for him to turn his back on him. Now he calls them a, a, a dead dog's head or something like that. The, the Amplified uh, says that when Abner uh, was very angry at the words of Esposeth, he says, Am I a dog's head, despicable and hostile against Judah? The New Living Translation says Abner was furious. Am I some Judean dog to be kicked around like this, he shouted. And so it wasn't a good thing. He was saying, you're calling me a dog. And I'm thinking, well, you kind of are, you know. But it was a bad thing. And dogs weren't like looked upon like we might look at dogs. You know, we, they're our pets. We, you know, treat them like children. A dog was a dog. And so to be called a dog and then a, an enemy's dog was the worst. A dead dog's head, what do you do with that but kick it out of the way? And so little Abner becomes so indignant here over this whole thing. And he says, besides, you're finding fault over this woman. And again, it's almost like this woman was just, just a cut above a dog because that's the way they treated women back then. He's going, it's just a woman. But he knew. He knew going into a concubine like that was, was, was becoming guilty of treason. And so he, I think he was ready to bail anyways. And the fact of the matter is that, that Abner did have this much power. He did. He, he, he wielded so much power. And that was the problem with, with having this much power when you're a self-seeking man like this. He abused it and he used it for his own purpose. He knew he had brought Ishbosheth into power, and now he was willing to overthrow him. And so he gets his coalition together, thinking, hey, now it's time to, to bail, to, to, to go over to David's side. And he convinces them that now it's time for David to rule. All along, Abner knew that the Lord had, what the Lord had swore to David. And this is why I look at Abner, I'm going, I don't think I like this guy. You know, he knew exactly what he was doing when he was propping Ishbosheth up. 
He knew because he was after David, he was the enemy of David. He knew that King Saul knew that, king, that David would become king. And so Abner knew that. And so he is the one that, that set up, that set up uh, Isboseth. But now it was time to transfer the kingdom from Dan to Beersheba. Dan is the furthest part, part of, of Israel down to the most southern part in Beersheba. And so um, Ishbosheth couldn't say anything to Abner because he feared him. And supposedly he's the king. And he could have and he should have executed uh, Abner because of what he had done here. But he himself couldn't do that, even though he was a king. I think neither one of them could be honest with themselves that they both knew that this was all had to do with pride, with power and prestige, and it got the best of both of them. And so when Abner sent the messengers, and they set up all this agreement. He goes and, and he meets with David. And, and I, I just think that David, maybe he saw something genuine in him, maybe. But I think maybe he wanted to show him grace because he knew that Abner was the commander of the chief of the army of, of, uh, of Saul. And yet he's giving him a chance to come and see him. But he said, but before you do that, bring back my first wife. Bring, bring back Michael with you or else you're never going to get a deal from me. So now he has seven wives to deal with because he brings her back. And you almost want to feel bad for for this guy, the, the, her, her other husband. But he knew. He knew he was marrying another man's wife. And so short of David dying, David was going to get his wife back at one point. And so verse 17, it says, Now Abner had uh, communicated with the elders of Israel, saying, In time past you were seeking for David to be king over you. Now then do it. For the Lord has spoken to da of David, saying, By the hand of my servant David, I will save my people Israel from the hand of the Philistines and the hand of all their enemies. And Abner also spoke in the hearing of Benjamin, when Abner also uh, went to speak in the hearing of David in Hebron, all that seemed good to Israel and the whole of Benjamin. So Abner and 20 men with him came to David at Hebron, and David made a feast for Abner and the men who were with him. Then Abner said to David, I will rise and go and gather all Israel to my lord the king that it may that they may make a covenant with you and that you may reign over all that your heart heart desires so david sent abner away and he went in peace and so we we, we see that abner must have been this amazing communicator to be able to to make these deals to be able to go to to his own people, the kingdom, the northern kingdom, and, and tell them, hey, you know as well as I know what God has said about David. And I know that you guys know that you guys have always wanted him to be king. Hey, here's your chance. Do it now. And it's almost like we're, we're, we're the, the, the elders of Israel just as fearful of Abner. This guy had so much power that he was wielding. 
And he took advantage of it for his own purpose. But when he saw that, that he could not hold on to this because this whole thing was becoming weaker and weaker, he goes and, and, and he starts making deals with these guys. He even goes to the tribe of, of, of uh, Saul, to the tribe of Benjamin, and tells them, hey, you guys know that, that David is supposed to be king anyways, so go on with your bad self. Let's make this, this whole thing happen. And he goes to David, and David brings him in. And again, you, you, you got to think, it's like, David, this guy's the one that had been coming after you. You're the one that even said, you should die, Abner, because you didn't even protect your king. And now you're letting him into your presence, and you're allowing him to, to make these negotiations with you, and then you're giving him a feast, and then you're letting him go in peace. And letting him go in peace was huge because he was dismissing Abner in good faith. This meant that he was going to let bygones be bygones. And because he was letting them go in peace, it meant that no harm was supposed to come to Abner. And so he sent them out in peace. In verse 22, it says, At that moment, the servants of David and Joab, dun, 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 came from the raid and brought much spoil with them. But Abner was not with David in Hebron, for he was sent away and he had gone in peace. When Joab and all the, tri, uh, all the troop, troops that were with him had come, they told Joab, saying, Abner, the son of Ner, came to the king and he sent him away and he has gone in peace. And Joab came to the king and said, What have you done? Look, Abner came to you. Why is it that you sent him away? And he has already gone. Surely you realize that Abner, the son of Ner, came to deceive you, to know you're going out and you're coming in, and to know all that are that are in your doing, that you are doing. Then Joab, uh, and when Joab had gone from David's presence, he sent messengers after Abner, who brought him back from the well of Syrah. Uh, but David did not know it. And so Joab is the commander of David's army, and he is not too happy about this, and he becomes unhinged, and he goes and he tells the king, what were you thinking? This is the man that has been coming after you. This is the man that, that wanted to destroy us as, as a people, as a small army over here. And you have brought him in. And not only have you brought him in and gave him a feast, but you've also sent him away in peace. How is it that you have done this, David? Now, I don't know if, if Joab had Abner pegged to a T. Or he was just paranoid that this guy was coming in trying to take his job. I don't know. Maybe it takes a commander of the army to know a commander of the army that you've got to be a little crazy to be in that position. But verse 27, it says, Now when Abner had returned to Hebron, Joab took him aside in the gate to speak to him privately and there stabbed him in the stomach so that he died in the, uh, for the blood of Issachel, his brother. Wow. The, the, these guys are nuts, man. <laughs> Joab 
calls him, and, and I'm sure Abner's going, oh, he wants to talk to me because I've gone out in peace, so surely he knows that David's cool with me. And here we have cold-blooded murder. Now, a family had the right to kill someone if someone had killed part of their family. They had the right to kill them. An eye for an eye, a tooth for a tooth. Even if it was manslaughter, you, could, you can go and take care of the other person. Abner had killed Issachel in battle, though. Abner had given Issachel a chance to stop chasing him because he didn't want to kill him because he said, I, how am I going to face your brothers if I kill you? <laughs> it was all done in the open, in the battlefield. Now again, you look at, like, at, at Abner and you're going, oh yeah, Abner's a nice guy. <laughs> but I think he was just saving himself. But this, in this verse, this is done in secret. Abner didn't know what was coming. And besides, he was in the city of Hebron. And Hebron happened to be a, a city of refuge, which means that even if you murdered someone or had done it in, in an unintentional way, manslaughter, you can go to a city of, a refuge city, there were six of them, and you could not be judged there or killed until you saw the judge. And so all of this is just not good. It's ugly. And David goes on to say, after he finds out, afterwards when David heard it, he said, my kingdom and I are guiltless before the Lord forever from the blood of Abner, the son of Ner. Let it not rest on the head of Joab and, all, and on all his father's house. And let there never fail to be in the house of Joab one who has a discharge or is a leper who leans on a staff or falls by the sword or who lacks bread. So Joab and Abishai, his brother, killed Abner because he had killed their brother Asahel uh, and Gibeon in the battle. Then David said to uh, Joab and to all the people who were with them, tear your clothes, gird yourself with sackcloth and mourn for Abner. And King David followed the coffin. So they buried Abner in Hebron. And the king lifted up his voice and wept at the grave of Abner. And all the people wept. And the king sang a lament over Abner and said, Should Abner die as a fool dies? Your hand was not bound, nor your feet put in fetters. As a man falls before wicked men, so you fell. Then all the people wept over him again. And when all the people came to persuade David to eat bread while it was still day, David took an oath, saying, God do so to me and more also if I taste bread or anything until the sun goes down. Now all the people took note of it, and it pleased them, since whatever the king did pleased all the people. For all the people of and all Israel understood that day that it had not been the king's intent to kill Abner, the son of Ner. Then the king said to the servants, 
Do you not know that a prince and a great man has fallen this day in Israel? And I am weak today, though anointed king. And these men, the son of Zeruah, are, har- are too harsh for me. The Lord shall repay evil doers according to his wickedness. One of the things that I look at here at David is the fact that David always seemed to look at people and give them the benefit of the doubt. This guy knew knew Abner, and yet even here we see that David honors this guy. He, He feels so bad for what has happened. Joab, being his nephew, and 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 uh, his other brothers, being his nephews, he turns on them basically and saying, "You guys are wicked. You guys are too harsh. You you guys have judged unjustly here. Why? Because this man had nothing to do with uh, with with murdering your brother. He killed your brother in battle. But I'm sure Joab, I'm going. He killed my brother though. I have every right. And David's going no." You shouldn't have, especially in this city. You had no right to kill him in the city of refuge. And I think that we can take a lesson from from David. Now, we can look at David and say, you know, you're just too nice, David. (laughs) You're just too nice. You don't know when to judge people and judge them rightly. And I think that might be a fault for him in some estimation. (laughs) But David often erred on the side of grace rather than cast judgment too quickly. And I think we can learn from David that even though there's enemies, there's people coming against him, he was willing to let bygones be bygones. And that's huge. That's huge in in our lives because there's so many people that can hurt us and have hurt us. And there are times that we can hold grudges forever. And God's saying, why don't you just stop? Why don't you just forgive them? It's like, but they have no right because Abner shouldn't have been forgiven by David and yet David brought him in. He blessed him, basically. He lamented for him. He even put a curse on on Joab and those guys for killing him. I think oftentimes as Christians, we become too harsh like a Joab. Even though we have the right to be mad, even though we have the right to, to stand up for ourselves. And yet God says, hey man, why don't you just show them grace instead? But they couldn't. Joab couldn't. And we're going to see this throughout Joab's life here. That Joab was just a hard man. Oh, there was times that he got in the king's face and the king had to relent and change his mind. And he was in the right. But oftentimes we see Joab and you're going, man, it must be tough. It must be tough because he can't let things go. Again, I, I don't know if I trip out on, on Abner either. I think, I think he was a manipulator. And yet, it's like, well, do we turn every manipulator and just say, I can't have anything to do with you? Or do we show them grace? <laughs> because there's times that we have to, and we should. There's other times that we don't. And so, again, I'm looking at this whole story. I'm going, Lord, how does this apply even to me? I, I, as the pastor of the church, you know, how, how do I look at a thing like this and say, do I take the side of Joab? Do I, do I treat people like Abner treated people? You know, do, do, do I do all these kinds of things? Do I make, do I make 
you know, promises here and, and try to gather people together. And all the while I have an underlining tone behind here because I have a motivation to get some power. What, what, how, how do I do this? And, and I often, and I was talking to somebody today, I was like, I, I want to be like David. <laughs> My desire to be like, is, is like David. But I, I look at David, it's like, David, shouldn't you have just stood up somewhere? Shouldn't you have, have, have executed Joab? Because you could have executed him because he killed somebody that didn't deserve to be killed in that city. You see, it's really tough. Even, I mean, not just in my position, but I think as, as Christians, as Christians, what do we do when we, when we have situations like this going on in our lives? When you have an Abner in your life, when you have an Ishbosheth in your life, when you have a Joab in your life. How about when you have a guy like David in your life? Do you take advantage of somebody like that? <laughs> that he's going to be kind to you so you, be, so you, you, you can do whatever you want? And so again, guys, we, we need to look at these kinds of stories like, man, why, why do you share these things with us, Lord? And I think they're to speak to us and to show us, man, that, that everybody has faults, everybody has strengths, everybody has weaknesses. <laughs> and we see it even in the life of David. But I think most often than not, David was willing to forgive. He, he was often willing to overlook and turn the other cheek, even to his enemies. And I think that's admirable when it comes to the Christian life. <laughs> because that's what Jesus told us to do when it comes to Christianity, to turn the other cheek. To forgive, to overlook, to love to have a heart and to have compassion. All those kinds of things, man. And I think that's why David is called the man after God's own heart. Because of those things. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for join, just showing us through chapter 3, Lord God, the life of David here. The things that he had to battle with, the things that he had to deal with, with the people, Lord God, in his life, Lord. Those who had been against him and those who were on his side having to deal, Lord God, with situations that some were out of his control because he didn't have a desire to hurt anybody in this situation. Lord. And so, Father, I pray, God, for wisdom on our part as Christians that you would truly show us, Lord God, how to be more like Jesus. I know David's a good example for us here, Lord, because we want to be like Jesus. Lord, I pray for wisdom. I pray for strength in our lives. Thank you, Lord, for opening up your word to us. I pray, God, that you would just help us, Lord God, in our understanding of what your word is saying to us. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you.